you have your copy of God's Word, you turn to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 7, we'll be taking our text from this morning. Romans chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13 this morning, Lord willing, on this message that I've titled, Dead to the Law. Romans chapter 7, starting with verse 1. And here the Bible says, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if, while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit, and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid, nay, I had not known sin but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. Let's pray. Father, we... Thank you for the reading of your word this morning. We need you, Lord, to help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we had a good time preaching last Sunday at Northside Baptist Church. Uh, they, I didn't have, we didn't have services here at Porchlight, but uh, had a good time with those folks. And uh, we're going back there next Sunday, May the 2nd, to be with them again and to preach for them uh, while they're without a pastor. I told them I would help them out any time that they needed. So uh, we won't be having services here at Porchlight next Sunday as well. We'll have them at Northside. You can join us there. They, they live stream their service as well, and you can find them on Facebook, and uh, there's links there on, on our page. Uh, but we pick up this morning here in Romans chapter 7, where we left off a couple of weeks ago. We finished up chapter 6, which was dealing with uh, living under grace, and that was what the whole message was about, uh, living under grace and not the law. And so chapter 7 continues with the subject matter that Paul brought up back in chapter 6 concerning uh, what we're talking about. Romans 6 and 14, he said, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law but under grace. That word dominion is going to be an important word as we go through this this morning. You'll see it mentioned here a few times in our text. And dominion simply means sovereign, supreme authority, to have power over. In short, it means to have lorded, lordship. So whatever you're 
in dominion to or whatever has whoever or whatever has dominion over you is your authority. You belong to that. You answer to that. You are in bondage to that. You're a slave to that. So remember that word dominion, very important. And so our opening text says, I know you not, uh, know you not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that law hath dominion. There's that word, dominion over a man as long as he lives. Now remember back in chapter 6, he said, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, you're under grace. He's talking to saved people. So once they become saved, they're no longer are in the dominion of sin or the law. And so Paul continues this thought, and he's saying, and he even specifically mentions to them that know the law. So he's speaking uh, specifically to the, the Jews that are in the church of Rome. Now there's Gentiles there as well, but they were never under the law. So um, the teaching that he's given here is mainly aimed toward the Jew, but it's also for the Gentile to realize they don't have to keep the Jewish law. They don't have to live under the law. They should be dead to that. The, the Jews should be dead to that law now. That's why we title the message, Dead to the Law. That's what he said up there in the beginning of our text. That we'll be not bound to the law not, and we'll be dead to it. And so remember what Paul said back in Romans 6 and 11. He said this. He said, Likewise, reckon you also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we preached a message on that probably three or four weeks ago. Uh, dead to sin, alive in him, I believe we titled it. And it simply is, is stating the fact that once you become saved, you're dead to that sin that used to reign over you, that you used to be a slave to. And you're alive in Jesus Christ. So our life is through him and by him. It's nothing of our own doing. It's all through Christ. So he's appealing to the, mainly the Jewish audience of the church here. They understood the law. They've always lived it. They've been taught it from a young child all the way up. And so, But as a whole, the law he's speaking about, not, not really only the Jewish law, but all law. Where there's law present, that law has dominion over those that's under that law. We're under laws right here in Knox County. There are certain laws that we have to abide by. Knox County has dominion over us because we are citizens of Knox County. We're citizens of the state of Tennessee. We're citizens of the United States. So all the laws that are in this country have dominion over us. We must obey them because they're the law of the land. The law says you cannot carry a firearm into a federal building. So if I carry a firearm into a federal building, I've broken the law. Well, the law has dominion over me. And so therefore, I can be arrested. I can be put on trial and judged. So as long as we're living, those laws are going to apply to us as long as we're living. Once we die, that law doesn't apply anymore. If I'm dead, I'm not going to carry a gun into a federal building anyway. But that word dominion, very important. Sovereign, supreme authority, have power over, lordship. And so Paul uses the example of the law between a husband and a wife. Look at it, verse 2 of our text. For the woman which has an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she's free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. So what Paul is, is indicating here is it's very clear that when a man and a woman are joined in holy matrimony, it is a lifetime commitment. 
until one of them dies. The woman is in dominion to the man. The man has dominion over the woman until he dies. Once he dies, she's free from that, from the law of her husband. That's what the Bible said. Same with the man. Uh, he is bound to his wife. If she dies, he has freedom to marry another. That, that's what the Bible says. So that law unto our husband and wife dies when we die. It is no longer valid. Now, if we decide to go ahead and go against what the law says, the law says that if you're still alive and you're married and you marry someone else, you're an adulteress or an adulterer. It works both ways, the husband or the wife, both of them. You, you are, are committing adultery if you're with someone else other than the one that you married and they're still living. Now, if they died and you decide to marry someone else, you're not an adulterer or an adulteress. That's what it says. And so it's clear from this example that the Holy Union is, is a forever and binding thing. Now, that's not really the focus of our message today to, to teach and preach on marriage. However, we do see the truth of God's word concerning marriage. Now, this world today doesn't see that truth. A husband and a wife or a man and a woman will stand before a congregation of people. They'll stand before a, a preacher or a pastor and stand before God, and they'll make those wedding vows. We call them wedding vows. And always in those wedding vows, usually, especially if you're Baptist, you're going to say those words like, until death do we part. Uh, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. And we use those words in our wedding vows because they are biblical doctrine. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what the Lord Jesus taught. Listen to what he said. The, the Pharisees and his disciples had come to Jesus questioning him about divorce and about uh, between a husband and a wife. Listen to what Jesus said in Mark 10 and 6. He said, But from the beginning of the creation of God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And in the, house of his, in, in the house his disciples asked him again of the same matter. And he saith unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. So this teaching is, is Bible teaching all the way from the beginning. In fact, Jesus goes all the way back to the beginning of the creation of man and woman and says this is what God has ordained. It's marriage is, is between a male and a female. So today, what have we done? We have destroyed what God has said here in our, our world. Uh, we've decided that we're going to do whatever we want to and that two men can marry each other, two women can marry each other. It's in the laws now here in this land. It's against God's law, though. And God's law always overrides man's law. So what God says is a sin, it is always going to be a sin. And despite what the state may say or the federal government may say or the Supreme Court God's law will always reign and be, have dominion over us as saved people. Now, does it have dominion over the lost? It should, but it doesn't really. They're not bound to it because they don't belong to God. Everybody says, or I hear a lot of people say, we're all God's children. We are not all God's children. Uh, if you're not saved, if you're not a Christian, you're a child of the devil. This is what the Bible teaches. Jesus told those Pharisees that they were... Their father was the devil and the father of lies. And so that's what the Bible teaches. And so a husband and wife are bound by law to remain together as long as both are living. But whenever one of them dies, they're no longer bound by that law. And so Paul is just teaching this 
this uh, lesson about dominion and uh, the law of what the law says. Now, like I said, in this world, the law, we, we say that God's law doesn't matter. I'm not mean we personally, I mean the world, the sinful, carnal, fleshly world. And, uh, and so when a man and woman join together in what we call holy matrimony and they say those vows, two, three months later, they're, they, they hate each other and they decide they, they don't care about those vows. They don't care what they promised before God and man. They're going to break those laws. And so what they do at that point is they commit sin. It's sinful. And they'll get divorced and they'll go and marry someone else. And uh, so marriage vows, though, will always be sacred. And it will always be until death do you part. So Paul's using this example of when someone becomes saved, then it's the same thing. Sin no longer has dominion over you. And the law, once you become saved, and really since Christ came, that law is no longer applicable to anyone, uh, especially the Jew, the Jew that always follows the law. Now, of course, when they become saved, it was hard for them to put that law behind them. They were so steeped in it. It'd be the same with us. We have been brought up under certain conditions. We've been taught certain things and certain uh, the ways that we do things around here. You know, you hear that term, well, that's how we do it around here. It's hard for us to get out of that mold. When you are brought up doing a certain thing, a certain way, <laughs> for someone to come along and start, uh, suddenly say, you're doing it wrong, that's not how it's done, you don't do it that way, this is the way to do it. It's hard for us to understand that. And we are resistant to change. That's one of the hardest things, especially here in East Tennessee, we're a lot like that. We're stubborn people. Uh, our our uh, background, our history, our lineage, that's the way we've always been. We're stubborn people. I came from the, the uh, Scots-Irish. And so my people come from that place, moved here to the Appalachian Mountains, and th that's where my background comes from. And so it's kind of inherited by nature for me to be that way, stubborn, self-willed independent, and it's hard to change. So it's hard for the Jew to change from being under the law to now suddenly being under grace and understanding that they're dead to that law now and they're alive in Christ. So he uses that example. Now, look at verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. And he, he keeps comparing. This whole chapter, he's comparing things, or at least the first half of it. He's comparing things. Uh, law, uh, grace. Uh, death, life. Uh, dominion, not having dominion. So he's, he's comparing all these things, and he says here that you've become dead to the law. To be dead means you're no longer alive to it. So you're not living for the law. He said instead of that, instead of being alive to the law, you're dead to it and you're alive in the body of Christ. You've died unto Christ. So from the law unto Christ. And he even mentions the word married right there. So in essence, we become married to Christ. It's a, a, a binding relationship, a bondage. Uh, it's when the Bible said about a, a husband and wife cleaving, when a husband cleaves to his wife, the thought behind that is to be 
bound together permanently. I made the example one time of, of using Gorilla Glue on two pieces of wood. You put that in between it and you put them together, that becomes one piece of wood. That thing is almost impossible to break. It now becomes one. Whereas before it was two pieces, now it's become one. That's the way they do, uh, um, um, I can't think of the word for it, the sheetrock, not sheetrock, uh, plywood. Plywood at one time is a bunch of different pieces of wood and they glue that together and it becomes one piece of wood. Well, that's what happens. When we become saved, we become married to Christ. It's a bondage now that we have with him. We cleave together. And so Paul uses this example of God's law concerning the marriage vows to that of a lost sinner becoming saved. Before somebody's saved, they're in bondage to sin. They're married to the law. And once they become saved, they're now married to Christ, and we are actually in bondage to Christ. Although we're free from the bondage of sin, we are now bound to Christ. And Christ has dominion over us. Lordship. Now, people get all the touchy when you start talking about lordship. They say, you're teaching lordship salvation. Look, if you don't believe that, that Jesus is your Lord, then uh, what does that say about you? Uh, he's not just some figure up there that you say, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, believe him and, and that's all I got to do. Look, if, if you believe who he is and how holy he is and what he's done for you, he will be your Lord. And so he should have lordship over you. He should guide everything that you do because you're bound to him. You're, he has dominion over you. So as long as someone is married to the law, Paul here says we, our sins, the motions of our sins brought forth fruit unto death. And remember what he said back in chapter 6 at the end of it, he said, for the wages of sin is death. And so death is always associated with, with sin. And so as long as you're under the law and under sin, then you are producing fruit unto death. That's what sin leads to is death. But when you become saved, you're dead to sin. You're no longer in the, no longer has dominion over you. You're now married to Christ and you're now, uh, bringing forth, forth fruit, Paul said, unto God. So our relationship with Christ should be bearing fruit unto God. And so when someone becomes saved, they die of sin. The law of sin no longer has dominion over them. And that marriage with sin is dissolved. It's no longer binding. Now you're married to the Lord Jesus and he has dominion over you. And so that's what Paul's been teaching all along. If you, if you want to turn back there to chapter 6, let's look at the first 11 verses and see that this has always been what Paul's been teaching about this, this comparison between what you once were and what you now should be. Romans 6 and 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And remember, these are the questions that the Jews were asking. You know, okay, Paul, we believe in the Lord Jesus. We're trusting him as Savior. So now what do we do? Uh, you, you keep teaching this grace. Should we just keep sinning? So we'll bring glory to him. Paul said in verse 2, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? There he uses that word again, dead. If you're dead to sin, know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be, uh, shall also, 
shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so a person is always going to be in bondage in this life. You're either going to be in bondage to sin, or you're going to be in bondage to Christ. There's no other, other thing of it. It doesn't work any other way. Everyone has a supreme authority over them. Your authority is either sin or it's Christ. And so something always has dominion. The lost sinner, sinner is in bondage to sin and death that it brings. However, once they become saved, a death takes place which breaks the bondage of sin and a new life begins. Now, this teaching of a new life, we, we say born again. Have you been born again? That is the teaching of the new birth. That's what Paul's talking about. The new birth. It's a, it's a conversion from death unto life. A new birth and all things new. Paul said the old man's you know, passed away. All things become new. And so it's because of this new birth. Now, churches today don't want to teach on the new birth. You, it, you'd be very, it'd be very rare to hear a church anywhere preaching on the new birth. There, there's some, there's some good churches. Uh, um, uh, Pastor um, Joaquin Lawson over at, uh, at the Little Temple over there, he preaches on the new birth quite often. Uh, he teaches Bible and, and pure Bible doctrine. But there's a lot of churches today, they won't touch subjects like that, the new birth. It's, it's too heavy for them. Instead, what they want to teach is always grace and love. Grace and love, grace and love, grace and love, grace and love. That's all they want to talk about because that's what people are thirsting for. Their flesh is looking for love, peace, grace. You know, instead of obedience, instead of dominion, instead of bondage, instead of a new birth, which means that everything changes. So churches won't preach on the new birth because they want to say, come as you are, leave as you were. We don't care how you're living. Everybody's okay. That's the teaching of most churches today. And so these people that have their so-called conversion at one of these churches, they continue to live a life in bondage to sin because the pastor of the church or the elders or the deacons or the, the body, they do not place emphasis on the new birth and the change that should be made in a man of how Paul said you should be walking in newness. Put on the new man. That's what the Bible teaches. And so what do they do? They allow openly gay couples to come in and join the church. That is an abomination unto God. To have a sodomite to come and join the holy establishment of God's church, which he says is the pillar and ground of the truth, to claim that a sodomite has any kind of rights to that, to be in that body is an abomination to God. And so they allow gay couples to come into their churches, sex addicts, pedophiles, effeminates, you name it, to join the church. Now I'm not saying one of those can't come into a church and hear the gospel preached and hopefully get saved by the word of God. 
But to allow someone like that who is openly living in sin in defiance of what God's Word says, that is an abomination. That's heretical church. That's not even a real church. And so what we need to be teaching is what God's Word says. If you are truly saved, then sin no longer has dominion over you. You don't belong to sin. You died to sin, and a new birth took place. You're now joined in holy matrimony to the Lord Jesus Christ. He, therefore, has become your groom. That's why the, the church is called the bride of Christ. And a lot of people, and I've taught on this all my, my years of ministry, to try to get it through people's heads that these buildings is not the church. And so even people question today the church that we have here, Porchlight, they don't understand the concept. They think because we meet in a house instead of a, a building that's been called church somewhere that we're not really a church. And the people come to me and they say, what are, you, are you calling yourself a church? I'm like, yes, <laughs> that's what we are. We're a body of believers. That's what a church is. It's a called out assembly. It's people that have been saved and are in one like, in one accord, uh, all things in common, they come together as a church body. And that is the church. It's not the, the building you meet in. Do you think that all through this world that people are meeting in, in these big buildings that cost millions of dollars that they're building here? Are you kidding me? There's a mansion on the hilltop over here off of uh, Tazel Pike they're, that's the church. They don't need that. It looks like a castle. And so, I'm going down the rabbit hole here. But I'm just telling you, the building is not the church. It is the members that make up the body of the church, which is the body of Christ, which is the bride of Christ. We're married to him. And so the teaching of the new birth needs to be, needs to be done. And uh, so, we, although he is loving, he is forgiving, he's graceful, he, and brings peace and all that, the Lord never, ever condones, pets, or pacifies sin. No longer. That, that doesn't happen. All right, now go back to verse 6, back in our text in Romans chapter 7. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. And when the Bible talks about the letter, it's talking about the law. Uh, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I have not known sin but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin taking occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. So now what Paul's doing, he's wanting to assure these Jewish listeners that, uh, and they understand the law completely, he's, not, he's saying, is the law evil? No. They may say that, well, Paul, is the law evil then? Because... Causing that we have to die from it and live under Christ? Does that mean the law was evil? Paul says, no way. God forbid. Don't think such a thing. It was not evil. And that is why Paul wrote to the church over in Galatia. Galatians 3 and 24, he says, Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. So the law all along, its purpose was to bring us unto Christ. The law was a shadow of, uh, a foreshadow a fore, uh, of what was to come through Christ. The law is black and white. You're guilty or you're innocent. It proves that a man is breaking the law or whether or not he's lawful. It doesn't save. 
it doesn't, there's no faith there. There's no really grace there. All it was doing was being a schoolmaster. It was teaching us that there is one coming where all of our sins will be forgiven and will be saved under grace. And that's what doing. he says that, that he was teaching uh, about bringing us unto Christ, who that we might be justified by faith, not law, but faith. Now notice in verse 7 how Paul began using the personal pronoun I. He said, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. So what he's doing here, he's using his own personal experience in teaching to these Jews the truth of this. Um, and he'll continue doing so throughout the rest of this chapter, using himself as an example. So look what he said next there again in verse 8. The first part, he said, But sin taking occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. So knowing the law teaches that sin is wrong, it causes a man, a man's inherent nature to rebel against God to kick into full gear. Because when the law says this is wrong, what does a man do? I'm going to do that then. That's our inherent nature. It's our flesh. It's how it works. Think of it this way. When you're a child, if, if someone told you not to do something, the first thing you want to do is do it. If, if, if mama made a batch of cookies and they were sitting there on the counter and I come by and want to grab one, she goes, Byron, not right now, not before supper. Don't you eat one of those cookies. You better believe I'm going to do everything in my mind to get one of those cookies. The first time she turns her back, I'm going to sneak over there and grab one of those cookies and eat it. That's our inherent flesh nature to want to rebel against what we've been told not to do. So when the law comes by and says that when you covet, when you lust, when you covet after something, that's lust, that's sin. So when you have in your heart the 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 desire, the the over overreaching desire to want something so bad that you'll take it, you want it so bad that is lust and that's sin. Paul said, until the law told me that, I didn't really understand that. But when the law said that when you covet something, that's a sin that brings forth lust. Now I understand. And so if it wasn't for the law, I've never understood these truths. And so the law is not evil. That's what, it's what his, his, uh, his whole thing is. And that's the way we are with sin. Knowing what is forbidden wants us to exercise our own free will to do it. And that's why Paul means by all manner concupiscence. That word concupiscence, that's a good King James uh, Bible word. And the base Greek word it comes from is epithumia. And it means desire, craving, longing, desire for what is forbidden, and lust. And so it's used in our King James Bible many times, but, but predominantly it is translated as lust or lusts. And in fact, 31 times a combination of lust or lusts it's used. It's used as concupiscence by Paul three times in his writings. And then it's also translated as desire or desired four different times in the New Testament. And so we understand that desire, that craving, that longing for what is forbidden. That's what concupiscence is. And Paul says, when I found out that the law was telling me that what I'm doing is wrong, all it did is it caused me to, it wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, all manner of lust, all manner of wicked desires. That's what happened to me. Because my flesh wanted to rebel against what's right. That's what Paul's saying. So look, look at verse 9. He said, For I was alive without the law once, 
But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me, and by it slew me. And wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me, by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might be Come exceeding sinful. Now what Paul's doing here, he's saying that he used to think at one time that he was alive. He was alive, and Paul, he was better known as Saul of Tarsus at that time. He was a persecutor, a prosecutor, he hated Christians. He had zeal for God, but his true heart was not, not there. He was not alive as he thought he was. And when he understood the, the wholeness of the law, which was God's holy standard. When, when it finally got through to him that the law is God's holy standard and he's to be upheld to that standard, then he realized he was not alive but rather dead. And he was living a life of death. He was living a, a life that was bound for hell because he was in, sin and the law had dominion over him. And so when he understood that, he said there in verse 11, for sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me. And by it slew me. And that's what sin does. Sin deceives us. Um, it, it entices us. It, it makes us look and, and at it and, and think that that's what we want to do. And, you know, it, uh, it's, it's wonderful there for a season. Yeah. Uh, but sin will always, it will always bring forth death. And it will always come back on you. You'll always regret it. Sin is never what it seems to be. It will deceive you and slay you. And Paul, like I said, he used to understand that living for God was all he wanted to do. If he could keep the law, he thought he was alive. He thought he was fine. But once he understood his wickedness, his vile nature, his carnal flesh, and how it rebelled against God and against the law, then he understood he was dead. He was in bad shape. Now, we don't have time to go into the rest of it this morning, but the rest of this chapter, Paul actually is describing how miserable of a sinner that he is. Not was, but he is. And he'll use such words as he's carnal, sold under sin. Sold under sin. And he will say on down further in, in this chapter, oh, wretched man that I am. And he'll make that comparison. These things that I want to do, I can't do. The things I don't want to do, that's what I do. He'll go on and on and on, using himself as an example of a simple, carnal nature that we all have. And then we're going to, we'll see it as, as Paul teaches the great truth of God's divine, supreme love, and grace, his mercy, and how we can be dead to all that of, of sin, carnality, death, law, and be alive. And abound much more in Christ. Is that that's what Paul will go on to teach? Let's uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the reading of your Word today. We thank you for the message, Lord. I pray that if there's one out there that's been struggling today with sin, Lord, they're they're deceived because sin deceives us. Lord, that they'll understand that when we rebel against God, Lord, it's just bringing forth death. God, that we need to live in newness of life. That that new birth needs to take place 
that old creature needs to go away and the new man must be for, foremost in, in the front. God, if there's one today listening that has never been saved, Lord, would you convict their heart and show them the need to trust and believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior today. Lord, before it's too late. Because we know sinners go to hell. Lord, but they don't have to. You made a way through Jesus Christ who died on the cross to save us from our sins. He was buried and rose again in three days and now sits on the right hand of the Father to make intercession for us. Father, help those today that are struggling. Help those today that's been diagnosed with cancers and other diseases. God, help the doctors take care of them. Lord, help them in their financial needs that they're going through. Lord, we thank you for all the blessings you've given us. May we always be in service to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, don't forget, there will be no services here at Porchlight next Sunday. Instead, join with us over at Northside Baptist Church. That's on Bernard Avenue in Knoxville. It's right off Central. If you know where the old Sears building is, and think it belongs to Knox County now, the, I believe the sheriff may have an office in there and, and different things. But it's just right down the road. It's, it's the road down from the health department, Knox County Health Department. So if you want to join us there, you come out and be with us. And those those some great folks there. And uh, we, we greatly enjoyed our service last Sunday. And I know the Lord will bless you in this coming Sunday. Are all hearts and minds clear this morning? In fear of the Lord, we're separated.